Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. You can follow The Lines on X, Twitter, whatever social media platform you want to call it these days. At TheLinesUS. You can follow me at Eli Herskovich. And you can follow Mo Noir, our NBA betting savant. Also NFL and every single sport pretty much. At Mo Noir, two W's. And remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever we release any NFL betting content or NBA, college football, seasons wrapping up. But Kelly Ford and Brett Gibbons have been doing a fantastic job in that respective market. Mo, we are 28 and 13 on the season with spreads and totals three and one from our Thursday edition to beat the closing number of the Bears. Got home. God bless you, Nate Davis. The Bills, for you, covered and destroyed Zach Wilson, as they should. The Rams beat Seattle outright. I know you have a gripe with me on that game, but we'll talk about that in a moment. And the Bucks were your only loss for Week 11. So I'll give you the floor here to vent about whatever you'd like. I just think, yeah, I mean, that weekend just shows how we're running this year when you get the Rams home which I don't think was justified. I mean, I didn't have a cent on that game, although I did want the Rams to lose because of my season bets. But, man, there was some atrocious refereeing in that game. I mean, 50-yard flags on Seattle that just were completely horseshit, to be honest. And then, yeah, I mean, some bad calls the other way, too, for sure. I think it was just an overall atrociously ref game. Carl Sheffers yeah, and his crew bad. embarrassed themselves. I cannot believe that man was given a Super Bowl assignment in the past five years. I think he did the game where uh, Chiefs faced uh, Bucks, if I remember right, and they were horrible in that game too. Uh, so that's where it steps from. That's where your Carl he's Shepherd's very bad. Hate. That was really, really <laughs> bad. And then Pete Carroll, I just, I, I just cannot believe how bad some of these coaches are in these end of game. I mean. How coaches think fifty-five yard field goals are free? is just like incredible but then to think that when your kicker already missed i think he already missed earlier in the game like why i don't do think you, he did why do you think this is just free points like you, you they had 34 seconds to get some more yards and they just they just called it a day for a 55 yard field goal i mean it's just amazing stuff uh, but then you look at that tampa bay game i mean I know that they couldn't stop San Francisco, but they still should have covered very easily. Uh, two touchdowns went right through guys' hands that would have secured the cover. I mean, this is what I meant when I said, you know, Baker has fit some throws into some tight windows this year, and he did. And just absolutely disgusting performance by the Tampa Bay pass catchers there. Just completely letting their quarterback down when he hit them in the hands in the end zone. Uh, so that one was a little bit painful. For some of our listeners and viewers, though, Mo, they cashed on the Bucks because the line did close 13 and a half, I think. Somebody knew that the Bucks were going to drop multiple touchdowns to cover the spread. Congratulations, guys. Hey, you got to give, you got to be happy for the people that at least got the extra point, right? No, I'm no? talking about the people who had the other side. Oh, on San Francisco at a worse or at 11 and a half, 12 and a half. Gotcha. Makes sense. No, I hear you, man. I saw the Bucks driving on at least a couple possessions in inside the red zone on red zone, ironically. And I was hoping for them to get at least one of those scores, and they couldn't, and I felt bad for you. So I didn't know you were going to come after me with the Rams. But I will say, Carl Sheffers had a terrible game, especially when you hand Geno Smith a timeout on their final possession. Just... Well, Here you go. Let's review this play. So that was that, the other thing, right? They they got to face Drew Locke for like a third of the game when Gino was pretty much shredding for most of that game. I mean, seven yards per attempt. And Drew Locke, man, you just think back to when the team was saying this was a close competition prior to last season, and then you yeah. watch Drew Locke come into a game. Let me tell you, it's it's hard to accumulate minus 5.5 EPA in like 20 snaps or whatever, but he did it. So credit to him. <laughs> I saw him blaming Jackson Smith and Jigba for 
one route, he was saying, put your hands out, when the ball was still probably five yards away from I him. I think so. that one was on the receiver, though, because if he— I don't know if it was catchable. If he adjusted to the ball, it was. But he just like kept running his route. I mean, the ball was underthrown for sure, but, but it was underthrown in a way that, that should have been able to adjust and just come back and catch it. So that, that one was somewhat on the receiver for sure, even though the ball could have been thrown better. But th- this is I, I see this constantly with the Chiefs because they have clueless receivers, so they frequently make plays like that. And, yeah, that, that basically was Smith and Jigba just did, did not make a good adjustment to that ball. Well— that's the kind of co-host Mo is, even when his co-host cashes a bet and the listeners and viewers do as well. He's still coming out complaining, and even though officiating was poor on both sides. But well, I we should have gotten an L for my Rams under six and a half. I mean, I should have gotten an L there. That was that should not have been a loss for the for the Seahawks. Okay, all right. You know, we could keep going back and forth, but I'm gonna spare. The beat the closing number fans that and we will get into the week 12 card, including three Thanksgiving games. Turkey Day. We got a bunch of action to discuss along with two other matchups on the week 12 slate. But before we do so, remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcasts and leave a five star review as well as it really helps boost the podcast and also check out our Discord channel. I don't think we're going to have any official plays on this show as it's our only edition to beat the closing number this week, but you could find all of our plays and there are stances we're taking, but I'm kind of curious as to where the line is going to go for a couple different matchups. So I'm waiting on a pair of bets discussing two angles I like, but not placing the bets just yet. I think Mo feels similarly with a couple games himself. So Discord channel link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. Check that out, and you'll be able to get our plays in real time. Just head over to the Rules channel and subscribe there. We also have Mo's Survivor Guide up on thelines.com, all of my best bets column later in the week if you're checking this out on Monday or Tuesday. And I have a new college basketball future article up as well and that was placed on Sunday night so another reason to join our discord but if you're also planning on placing any week 12 action and you're not a user at BetMGM Sportsbook first time users with BetMGM Sportsbook promo code the lines one word can get up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet loses it's promo code the lines and remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money. And as always, terms and conditions apply. Mo Packers at Lions. Spread is sitting at seven and a half. It's yet to move from the look ahead. And the total is 45 and a half. Initial thoughts here. Yeah, uh, I thought the look ahead was too large, even though I was a little bit skeptical of your uh, Bears bet, which was very good, clearly, since... They nearly won the game, <laughs> and like this isn't one one isn't one of the like I know people will just see like turnovers and maybe think like the Bears were getting. I don't think they were very lucky, particularly in that game. I mean, yeah, I mean one was off a of hand, but I think Jared Goff earned those, and he was bad. And yeah, the Lions were right there in terms like they were down one yard per play or whatever, but they didn't get steamrolled for sure. The way like you see like. Bills Broncos or whatever where like yeah the Bills lost but they were plus three yards per play like this was not a game like that and I I think for me it's just on the wrong side of seven to be honest I kind of think the Packers have been playing pretty good man like ever since unfortunately I had way too much money on the Steelers against the Packers I mean obviously I won but unfortunately in the sense of I had to watch that whole game and it was a painful sweat the Packers played pretty good, man. Now that their offensive line has gotten healthy, they look like a decent team again. And this line's defense just keeps getting shredded on a weekly basis. I mean, the Chargers obviously had that ridiculous game against them where nobody could get a stop. And then now the Bears, you know, I, I mean, I like Justin Fields. I still am probably never going to be able to give up on him because of some of those plays like he had when he's rolling out on the edge, one-on-one with the 
defensive lineman and makes him fall down and look silly. And, I mean, yeah, it's like a gain of seven, but it's just like, man, those plays are – not many guys can make those plays, you know? And anyways, but it's the Bears, you know? At the end of the day, this is just a mediocre offense at its very best, right? So they're moving the ball on the Lions. Pretty much everyone's moving the ball on the Lions. Last time these two teams played – I watched that game obviously pretty closely because it was an island game. The Packers got just, they got killed up front by the Lions on offense. Um, but that was with, I went back and checked to make sure, but yeah, there was two starters out, both on the left side, left guard and left tackle were both out. Something called Royce Newman and something called Rashid Walker were starting and they got wrecked by the Lions. Uh, they have I had their the Packers in that game. That was rough. Same. And, and it was a painful watch. I mean, we definitely weren't going to come close to that one, and that was fine, but that was a big reason why, right? So with these guys back, this protection has been looking so much better. I mean, against the Steelers' pass rush that I think everyone pretty much respects, I mean, the Packers dominated the Steelers' pass rush in that game. They, they, they were building some incredible pockets for Jordan Love. And when Jordan Love is protected, you know, he looks fine. So the problem with Love is when he's under pressure, everything just goes out the window. His mechanics, his accuracy, his decision-making, it just all goes bad. So He made some impressive plays. I know you were on Green Bay yesterday. Credit to you for your bet. I almost bet that, but you actually made the wager against the Chargers. And Brandon Staley had his fair share of issues that maybe we'll touch on when we get to Ravens Chargers. But Love actually made some impressive plays outside the pocket. He's been making some plays uh, ever since his line has gotten back to healthy. And then you see a spot where like Aaron Jones is out. I think that might be a good thing. Aaron Jones has sucked this year. Like I haven't watched one Aaron Jones play and been like, all right, looks good. Like AJ Dillon's been better than him. I think I checked the PFF numbers. They think he's been way better. They have him grading like 25 points better than Aaron Jones, which honestly makes sense to me with how I've watched them this year. So I think more A.J. Dillon, less Aaron Jones might be a good thing. Um, might get a better number because of it, too. Slightly. Yeah, that's the thing. If anyone thinks that that matters, that's definitely helpful. Like, Obviously, I think Green Bay's defense could have a tough time in some spots. Detroit's probably going to pound the rock, and they probably are going to have some success doing it. Um, but if the Bears can move the ball on this team, then I think Green Bay can as well. I mean, they have an offensive schemer at head coach, too, where the Bears do not. And you see how bad Jared Goff's been struggling against zone defense in some spots, just throwing it right to linebackers' faces. That was yesterday. I think people are just going to copy that and and make him make some plays. And and the Packers use zone at a fringe top 10 rate. I think they're 10th in zone entering this past week. So that might help them as well on defense here. So yeah, I just, I like the Packers at seven and a half, man. I think it's just too high. I'm going to justify, this is the first time we've been aligned in a long time. And I'm going to justify pretty much everything you said. So Lions pass defense ranks number 23 now in drop back success rate. When we recorded the podcast last week, going into the bears game, they ranked 19th. So they've taken four stops backwards or four spots backwards. Jordan Love coming off his best showing, as you alluded to. Top 10 in week 11 in EPA per dropback, dropback success rate, and completion percent over expected. I know the Chargers' pass defense has been vulnerable, but so is this line secondary. And then you brought up a healthy Packers offensive line. Believe it or not, Green Bay ranks second in the league. Not in the NFC, not in the NFC North, but second in the league in pass block win rate entering last week, week 11, and this Packers run defense. Now, here's my only concern, and you touched on this, but it's actually a little bit better since they got Devontae Campbell back, but his status is questionable for the game. Not that that's going to move the line, but I am kind of a little wary if Campbell doesn't play because since Campbell came back, and he's their best run-stopping linebacker in week eight, the Packers have an above-average run defense when it comes to both EPA per carry allowed and rushing success rate allowed. So having Campbell healthy in this game, or at least on the field, you mentioned Aaron Jones may miss time. I think the Packers, after the game, I was reading some some of the reports that 
It doesn't seem like it's a torn ACL, so it's not going to be a long-term injury. But considering it's a short week, you would expect him to miss the Lions game. Jair Alexander did not play against the Chargers. Neither did Rudy Ford, their safety. So maybe they get those guys back, which would obviously benefit the secondary. But having Campbell in this lineup is big against a rushing-centric Lions offense. And we saw yesterday what happens when Jared Goff has to drop back a bunch. It helped at the end of the game when going up against that Bears pass defense when the Lions scored two touchdowns in the final three minutes, but not over the full course of a full game. So I'm hoping that we get a better number on the Packers. I'm cautiously optimistic that we will, but I think I'll be on the Packers either way at seven and a half or better getting over a touchdown. So we're aligned there. Any thoughts on some of the metrics I brought up? No, just it all makes sense, to be honest. Uh, And and yeah, I think not only, I would just add not only what you said about Jordan Love being in the top 10 in EPA, I believe he was in the prior week as well against the Steelers. Like he's playing legitimately pretty solid. And and I think we know from watching him and, and PFF grading definitely backs this up, which is he's just, he's been a disaster at times under pressure. But if you give him a pocket, he can make plays. He can make plays downfield too. I think that's big when you're an underdog too, when it's going to be harder to sustain drives against a superior team, you know? So uh, getting chunk plays is big, and they've been getting chunk plays the last couple of weeks. Jaden Reed is making a difference there. Yeah, outside of Brian Branch, the, the Lions rookie Nickelback, I think, who's been playing it really well and nearly had an interception yesterday of fields, the secondary is very exploitable. Cam Sutton and everybody else. So Mo and I in agreement there. Commanders at Cowboys, another spread over a touchdown. This line is up from the look ahead of nine and a half, and rightfully so to an extent. Maybe you disagree, but Dallas covered a double-digit line against Carolina in Carolina in week 11. Washington lost outright as favorites of over a touchdown, and they're now swept by the Giants on the season, minus six in the turnover differential department, which is very hard to do in a 12-point loss last Turnover came on that pick six. So initial thoughts for you on Washington and Dallas. Total, by the way, of 48 and a half. Any thoughts for you on the total in Green Bay and Detroit before we move on here with Just a total of 45 and a half? Interested in the over for the all the reasons we mentioned about these offenses probably having success. Detroit just looks like such an over team to me right now. I mean, they're efficient on offense. Very, very efficient. But defense can just be had at times. Okay, so Washington and Dallas, any bet or potential bets for you there? Yeah, this is another one where I like the underdog. I think it's going to be a theme throughout this show. I like every single underdog on the Thanksgiving slate, and this one is definitely standing out to me after it moved multiple points away from the look ahead. This is just a classic buy low, sell high. Dallas wins by 20. The Commanders lose to the consensus worst team in the NFL and ruin everybody's survivor pools, which, by the way, you could have listened to me and not played Washington because that was not a good play when it's chalk. I mean, it's fine if somehow nobody's on it, but it's everyone was always going to be on Washington, and that was always going to be a losable game because every game is a losable game when your quarterback is Sam Howell. But also, by the same token, every game is also a winnable game when your quarterback is Sam Howell because he brings upward mobility with your passing offense. Obviously, when he's turning the ball over and taking sacks, he brings downward mobility as well, and that's why they could lose to anybody. But the commanders can also beat anyone. We've seen that already this year, giving the Eagles a spirited game multiple times and Sam Howell scoring 30 points against them at will and in some ways these spots i like it better for washington when they're an underdog like this because they are going to be forced to pass we've seen it against the eagles we've seen it against the seahawks when they were down um and now playing indoors against a dallas team that has absolutely feasted on a disgusting 32nd ranked schedule i like his chances to score some points here Also, by the same token, we have to say, I don't know how the hell anybody from Washington is going to cover CeeDee Lamb. So there's that. But maybe that just means this is commanders and over in a parlay. I don't know. But it's just hard to cover this many points when the other team's offense 
has as much of a pulse as Washington does. I mean, you see what Dallas does to some of these bad teams, the Giants, the Panthers, the Jets, you know, they're winning, you know, 40 to 10, 33 to 13, whatever it is. But the Commanders are a different kind of bad team. First of all, they're better than those teams. Second of all, they have the offense that can score points when they're in a negative script. These other teams have quarterbacks that if the other team's pass rush is coming after them with no fear of any sort of two-dimensional offensive approach, it's just over, you know? And Sam Howell can complete passes in must-pass situations. Uh, When has Dallas choked out an offense like this that was actually pretty good like maybe the Rams I mean that's pretty much it and we know their offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL so Stafford also got hurt in the first half of that game but it was over even at that point that yeah but like other than that you know these teams are just absolutely bottom of the barrel on offense and that's not Washington like I think they can score 20 plus points here and it's pretty hard to cover 11 when an opponent scores 20 points. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, especially with how this Washington pass rush uh, pretty much is nowadays. Like, I know they sacked Tommy DeVito a million times, but I think that's a Tommy DeVito thing and not a Washington pass rush thing. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how Dallas uh, looks on offense. I mean, they didn't look great at times against Carolina. I, I thought, like, I mean... <laughs> They, they scored 16 points in the fourth quarter of that game to, to make that game more of a blowout than it actually was for, for most of that way. Like, they got another pick six. Maybe Deron Bland just gets a pick six every game and sets the record, but yeah. He's got four already. You yeah, never know. I just think this line is a little bit higher than it should be. I don't really see a reason to move off the look-ahead line based on last week. Okay, I, I agree with you. At least maybe Washington gets some turnover regression, but... I am a little concerned about how being able to keep pace, even covering a double-digit number, just because Washington ranks number 19 in dropback EPA allowed after trading Montez Sweat and Chase Young, so that's over the last three games, small sample size, but they rank number 19 in that department after facing Mac Jones, Geno Smith, and Tommy DeVito. Dak Prescott, now the highest-graded quarterback across the NFL, and by the way, we brought this up last week, when it came to his MVP odds, they were in the 30 to 41 range at the time. Now 16 to 18 to 1 to win NFL MVP. Just a nugget there. Prescott's going to have his way with this commander's defense. I will say, Howell since week four, which is kind of the point, the juncture in the season that I like to bring up with him because that was the first Eagles game where Washington was competitive. And he's been playing relatively better, even though yesterday was not an example of that against New York, but he ranks number 14 in adjusted EPA per drop back since week four, which is above league average among qualified quarterbacks. But I don't think I'm going to be able to bet this. I'm not advocating to bet Dallas, but I don't think I'm going to be able to back Washington just because I'm extremely concerned about them ranking below average against the quarterbacks they've faced in the last three weeks. Now you're going up against one of the best and one of the most explosive offenses passing wise in the NFL and the way Prescott has played throughout the entire season. I still think Washington may struggle to cover this number, but I understand your logic. Yeah. Getting stops could be tough to come by for sure. I mean, this secondary versus this Dallas receiving core is a massive mismatch. And we know Dak Prescott can make accurate throws, especially in the intermediate zones when he's not under pressure. And obviously this is a pretty much toothless Washington pass rush now. I mean, yeah, they can get some pressure on the inside because they still have really good players there, but we'll see if they can put any sort of pressure on. But like I said, if Washington scores 20-plus points, they are going to be big favorites to cover, and I, I think they can do it against Dallas defense that has just absolutely feasted on cupcakes. I mean, yes, they're very good, but this is a, diff- this is a professional passing attack. It's true. You could argue the professional pass or the non-professional passing attacks that the commanders have faced over the last three weeks, depending on what you want to make of Seattle, even though Gino Smith has been below average in a bunch of different passing metrics this season. But you could argue that their defense could perform worse. But again, a little bit inflated. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to the point where I bet it, but I do get 
your logic behind the wager whenever you do wind up wagering this? Do you think you're going to take the 11 and a half or your or 11 or are you going to wait? Yeah, I like it. I couldn't imagine this going too much higher. I mean, I mean, think about some of the teams we've seen that get up to that sort of number. I mean, just like the Raiders were 13 and a half on the road after a buy and a long trip, like a buy for their opponent and they're on a long trip. It's just it's hard to imagine Dallas getting too much higher. I mean, it really is. What do you do on Thanksgiving? Either getting away from the family to watch football? How do you go about that? How do you navigate that? Or is your family watching the games? Yeah, we're definitely chilling around the TV, chopping it up while we while we eat. I, I won't I wouldn't say I'm like as dialed in, especially like pretty much the second a game gets 10 plus point differential I start to like drift around a little bit and start to hang out with more people but maybe not in this game since that will be like the prime sweating point so I guess we'll see uh, if I if I do end up locked in on the TV for this one because we definitely could see some double digit deficits but at that point for this one it'll still be a game I, I think most years honestly I'm not like too excited to bet the Thanksgiving slate but for whatever reason I like the Thanksgiving slate uh games way more this year than the weekend games well some of these lines are inflated especially when you look at the look ahead line so makes sense to me how would you power rate Thanksgiving food at least give me like a top two for you smoked turkey Top of the sure. board, I think. Okay, I should have I should have said besides turkey. Uh besides turkey, I'm probably like I'm one of those people who's like a big time green bean casserole hater. Mm. Not a fan at all. I think mac and cheese also very, very overrated side. So, wow. Yeah, people Bold. are gonna be mad at me probably, but I don't know. I like sweet potatoes, but I don't like them the way make people make them on Thanksgiving with all the marshmallows and crazy shit on there. So I guess like Thanksgiving is like a lot of the food is whatever to me, but when it's pie time, that's when I'm ready to go. Okay, so smoked turkey and pie is power rated second is what it sounds like. Pie is probably first. Wow, that's bold. Other okay. other people's power rating food wise is not going to have pumpkin pie number one. I'll tell you that. Who said pumpkin? Apple or what do you what do you go I, to? I, I do like apple quite a bit. <laughs> I mac and cheese is definitely up there for me. Maybe I would have agreed with you until I went to my future in laws last year for Thanksgiving and had their mac and cheese. So maybe mac and cheese a second. They also make a great soup. It's got like sausage and some other vegetables. I also wouldn't have expected. I don't know your opinion of soup on Thanksgiving, but I wouldn't have expected to have soup that high. Maybe that may be number three for me, to be fair. It sounds really good, but I I haven't. Yeah, that's not a thing we usually eat. So what's third for you? Um, this is not going to make sense to anybody besides very few listeners, but... So, classic Arabic dish that we we bring, grape leaves wrapped up with meat and rice. Absolutely great. Sounds good. And yeah, nobody's going to know what that is, but let me tell you, these disappear in about 45 seconds when they get put out at Thanksgiving. There's like, this is like the only thing that we put out for my family where people start to police you if you start to take too many. (laughs) If you want to send some over in the mail. Ship them over earlier in the week, Tuesday, preferably. I'll definitely have some. It but, takes too yeah, long I'll to be, make them. Uh, okay, fair enough. I'll I, on the note of sweating out action. I'll be getting to my fiance's parents or getting off the flight. I think around one p.m. some time zone, which is going to be in the second half of Packers line. So I'll be having to sweat this game in the car ride back to their house, kind of pull it out my phone, but try to talk to them in the car, acting like I'm paying attention to the conversation when in reality I'm trying to sweat the game. You know how that can go. It's it's a delicate process, especially when I'm going to be getting looks from my fiance to my left or right, wherever we're seated in the car. It's going to be, I'm going to have to uh, work around some things to watch the second half of Packers lines, but I'm sure you've been there. Yeah, I'm not good at that, but 
Yeah, it's fairly obvious, I think, when I'm not, like, locked in. Yeah, when you're sweating something out. If the Packers are down by 10 with the ball trying to get a backdoor cover, I don't know how that will go. But we digress. Hopefully, you agree with some of our Thanksgiving takes and can relate to the sweats. Finale of the Thanksgiving Turkey Day card. San Francisco, seven-point favorites up from the look-ahead line of minus five at Seattle. Total of 43. U of A, pretty strong stance on this one spread-wise, like you've been hinting at. So go at it, Mel. Yeah, I like the underdog again. Um, this is another one that moved a bunch. I think some three-and-a-halves, as low as three-and-a-halves on the look-ahead. I mean, that was maybe a little too low, but I definitely understood the line at like four-and-a-half, whatever it was. Five, I think some books had that as well. Yeah, I think our boss, Steven, hopped on the Niners at the the small number, so good for him. Cause he took the money line parlay at minus 132 or something like that with Detroit and San Francisco. I'll tell you, Green Bay might have a shot to win that game outright, especially if the line secondary performs like it did against Chicago, which it's going up against a better quarterback, I think, in Jordan Love, at least when it comes to passing, explosive passing opportunities. Yeah, I thought like the Lions did a good job corralling him on his runs. I, he ran for a million yards, but it was like on 20 carries or something. So, Yeah, I think he was plus 11, or 11 to 1. I saw somebody had to rush for over 100 yards in his first game back, and he did that, 104 on the ground. Yeah, and for this one, I, I that's speaking of quarterback injuries, that's kind of what I'm thinking about here. That's why this one's a little bit more of a hesitant one maybe. Like we all obviously saw Gino go out unless he's just like not right though, which is definitely possible. I feel like he wouldn't have came back in that game if they had the lead. I guess is what I'm getting at. So adrenaline, I hear you. But yeah. Yeah, like who knows if he was even really good enough to come back in. Although he did definitely complete some passes. So maybe he's okay. But yeah, this is like a three-point roughly move. I mean, unless Gino's not right, I don't really understand that. I I, I think those games... Some news, by the way, before you keep diving into Gino, Pete Carroll said on the radio this morning, and Pacific time, so it was pretty recently, as of like 15 or 30 minutes ago, that he does think Gino Smith will start. Smith has a bruise tuned in his triceps of his throwing arm. And that was from the Aaron Donald hit. Yeah, that's a weird injury, I guess, because I don't know anything about it and how it affects you. Because, like, that's not something you see every day. Bruised tendon on throwing arm. I mean, we're used to, like, you know, knee injuries, hand injuries, stuff like that. This is definitely different. So I guess I'd be curious to hear what somebody who's more familiar with those sort of injuries would say about something like this. How limited he might be. But like I said, I already talked about that game. You know, the Seahawks, I thought they played fine for most of the game. They got robbed by the refs. Their quarterback got hurt. I think it was an understandable final result. Like, whatever. It's not something I'm going to dock them for unless Geno's not right. And then the 49ers, yeah, they played a strong game. But, like, their defense, outside of destroying the Jags, I mean, what else have they been doing? You have a Bucks team that should have scored 20-plus if somebody could hang on to the ball. They get absolutely wrecked at home by the Bengals. And then, you know, they let the Vikings get to 22 and win that game. I mean, I don't know. I just don't think this team is as strong as the market, I guess, because there's definitely people out there who would tell you the 49ers are market power rated number one right now. I'm not there yet, so... This is another spot where I think running back injury might help the Seahawks. Kenneth Walker, I believe, is not going to play. He strained oblique, I think. that In baseball, that's like a multi-week injury. I don't know. I don't think I've really seen that with running backs. It was kind of a weird... It's a baseball injury, you know? Uh, bat swinging, stuff like that. Quarterbacks, because they're torquing their body, throwing the ball. You see it with them sometimes. can't remember ever seeing a running back just running down and then just grabbing their side like that. But I think maybe in this game, because you know Pete Carroll just wants to come out and pound the rock, establish the run, all that garbage. Maybe yeah, but Zach Char Charbonnet wasn't super efficient, and the Rams run D 
has been more efficient on in their own right. Of and, late, and that's but. what I mean. Like maybe he's less inclined to do that with Charbonnet than Kenneth Walker, who the team clearly loves. You know, I, I, we want point. them to come out and throw the ball against a Talano Hufangalist secondary who just tore his ACL. Can't remember that. that that's a tough. That's a tough one. Juked so hard that he tore his ACL. So. That was rough, a rough watch, but yeah, when this defense is consistently giving up 20-plus and the Seattle passing game can be very good at times, I think we want them throwing the ball. I know I've talked about how the Niners' defense has been had on the ground a bit this year, but when you're a seven-point dog and you have a passing game like this one, I think we prefer if Seattle comes out and throws the ball. Outside of Charvarius Ward, who, by the way, I think he got banged up as well, a really solid starting corner for the Niners, this secondary, I, I don't know who's manning up here against the Seahawks, and Geno Smith has been has been pretty limited at times against man coverage this year, so I think that's nice for the Seahawks. I, I don't think they're going to face a ton of that here. It, it's an okay spot for them, and, and with a, what looks like an inflated line off the look ahead, I'm interested in Seattle, but I want to see how Geno Smith develops this week and, and see what maybe people say about that injury. I don't know what that means. Like this is a unique injury. I've literally never heard of. I don't think for a quarterback for sure. My concern with betting Seattle, and this is not me making the point for San Francisco, maybe use them in a teaser, but Seahawks run defense ranks number 21 in UPA per carry allowed this season overall dead last across the league in that category over the last three games. And that was after acquiring Leonard Williams from the Giants to bolster their defensive line. He hasn't been great against the run or maybe has underperformed what he's been in that category in the past. I and think this has always been a little more of a pass rusher. Right, right. But San Francisco's zone rushing offense has given Pete Carroll and that Seahawks defense a lot of fits, especially when you look back at last year's numbers. So here's what I dug up. They allowed Seattle's run defense on average allowed zero Point zero seven EPA per carry, which is well above the league average in terms of EPA per carry allowed. And Chris, and that was with one game without Christian McCaffrey. Remember, McCaffrey had some very explosive runs in the latter two matchups, one coming in week 15, the other coming in the playoff game. So, and the, the first matchup too was not Brock Purdy under center for San Francisco, I believe. Maybe Seattle's passing offense, and I, I like your point. I didn't think about that coming into the podcast. If the Kenneth Walker injury makes this more of a game script, whether it's a high tempo or not for Seattle to use and employ their passing offense and Geno Smith, if the arm is okay, a little more than they would have if Walker was healthy. But I still have concerns and pause back in Seattle with the run defense in question in their own right. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't got to tell me. I think I was on the Seahawks for two of those games last year. and Sounds right. I will say— I was on the under for the second game in the regular season, at least. I, that got home. I will say, thankfully. I think that—they they did play in the playoffs, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the wild I, I did say—okay, the playoff game, I think they were fine for half of it, and then they, it just—everything fell apart in the they second half. They may have been half. up at half. Yeah, like the— Seattle may have had a halftime lead. The bottom just, like, completely fell off in the second half. But, but like, they did play a competitive game that game, and then they got just absolutely destroyed in the other one. I'm actually remembering that game was actually kind of close on the scoreboard, but that was one of those super fluke games where, like, they got completely dominated, kind of like that Bills-Broncos uh, game I referenced earlier where there was just, like, a massive discrepancy in yards per play, and Seattle had, like, no business being in that game. So they definitely got their asses kicked by the Niners last year. But I was also thinking about that coming into this game too. Maybe this is ultra revenge for them since they have not been able to get basically any headway against the Niners and just got creamed multiple times by them last year. So I'm hoping this is big time effort, big time work in the preparation uh, for this matchup, which honestly is basically the game of the year for them. I mean, they can't really expect to have any chance whatsoever in the division if they lose this game. Obviously, they're still in a pretty good position for a wild card just because the bottom of the NFC is so bad. But 
still, obviously, even in that sense, a win here would go a long way. Since you made the point about Seattle, and it sounds like you at least like them to make the playoffs, maybe you won't like the notion of... I am curious what the Packers' playoff odds are at. Because they're the next team that would be in line to get it. Now they're going to have to go on a run for sure. doesn't look like Caesars has them up. I'll try to pull them up before the end of the show. But I think Green Bay actually has a sneaky chance to sneak in themselves. One other thing, though, that I wanted to bring up for this game, and then we'll touch on two Sunday games. Seattle's market rating, I mean, the adjustment, you look at their point differential, minus two point differential with a 6-4 and four record, clearly outperforming expectation. San Francisco, 7-3 and three with a plus 122 point differential. Now, I know the beginning of their season, they got a pretty fortunate schedule, but... I don't know. I'm a little skeptical of Seattle, especially if San Francisco is able to exploit them on the ground and control the game script. But revenge will definitely be in mind. Yeah. Any any takes on the point differential concept? Not really. I would just say that, like, I did find a Green Bay number pulling up our playoff odds real quick. I think maybe the Seahawks are down right now just because of the quarterback injury uncertainty. But... <clears throat> I'm seeing Packers a little bit south of plus 300. So you can get just a little shy of plus 300 on them. Yeah, and you look at, thanks for pulling that up. You look at the wild card race right now, Green Bay, yeah, I mean the bottom barrel of the NFC or even the the, the uh, quote-unquote average Yeah, it's not even really the, the bottom. NFC is terrible. That's like... Right. Not even the really NFC what I'm just getting sucks. at. Yeah, the NFC has uh, like uh, four good teams and that's it. Yeah, I wouldn't even call Detroit great. They're good, but not great. You have the Eagles, the Niners, and the Cowboys, obviously. I had them, at least in, in my power ratings. But, yeah, Green Bay, L.A., Atlanta, Tampa Bay, then Washington. Uh, Green Bay plus 300 is kind of intriguing. What, if, what is that implied probability-wise? Not that I want to spend a ton of time on this, but you're looking at 25% implied probability, and they're two games back of... Minnesota are a game and a half back, I believe, of the Vikings. And they've Minnesota has the upper hand because they did beat Green Bay in that first meeting when Cousins tore his ACL. But and Seattle's not allowed to make the playoffs either if they lose outright to the to the San Francisco 49ers, whether they cover or not. So kind of intriguing at that number, right? Yeah, I just know we're gonna see we might see a ten and a half line week. Week one of the playoffs with this bottom NFC seed against like the Niners on the road or whatever it may be. Eagles, even if it's like Detroit, I mean, they're very good. Dallas. So maybe, yeah, it, it definitely if it's Dallas. I'm not as sure about Detroit as these other teams, but we are going to see possibly a double digit playoff line here. On to a couple of Sunday games. This one on the early afternoon slate. Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. So this line on the look ahead obviously had Joe Burrow intact and not out for the season. It was Cincinnati minus six at home. It's now down to, or it's has Pittsburgh favored as a one point favorite. I think it was a pick em or Cincinnati may be favored when the line reopened. But either way, the Steelers now favored very slightly on the current point spread. Total of 34 and a half. We saw the total yesterday. Shout out to... Our guy, Zach Jackson, coming on the podcast on Thursday, taking every How much out, did he nail? Under. He said Bills by 17. They won by 30. Got to give him a shout-out. Give him a shout-out on Axe Twitter, whatever platform you want to call it. But, yeah, give him some hype. Guy needs – everybody needs a, a hype man, okay? You could be Zach Jackson's hype man for Monday. Yeah, he did you know? good work. He did good work. So – the Steelers, even though they lost outright to Cleveland yesterday in the final moments, despite outgaining them in yards per play, still the only team to begin the NFL season at 6-3 and three before yesterday's game, after getting outgained in every single one of those nine Oh, Oh, games, yeah, and let me interject again victories. real quick. He also said he didn't know how Minnesota was going to score a point against Ohio State. They scored three. The guy killed it. Did Marvin? What did Marvin Harrison do? I'm not sure. I didn't even look at the box score. I just saw the final score. <laughs> I, I will say Maryland did cover. That was a fun game to watch. 
that was I, I was I was really hoping for all the bullshit. You're now over at swear words thinking you're at two and much more than I'm at on the season. Rightfully so, considering the justified complaints you've had. Only one touchdown. He did not score two anytime touchdowns. Zach Jackson did not cash there. But he didn't say bet Michigan. He just said don't fade Michigan. Maryland keeping that within a possession. But we digress about college football. You can listen to our college football betting show with Kelly Ford and Brock Evans if you're more interested in that or interested at all. I don't care about college football. And it may not make any sense considering how much I love college basketball. But regardless... Pittsburgh still overrated in the market to me, especially with this line having Pittsburgh favored. Cincinnati coming off the mini buy after losing on Thursday night football should be getting, I think Cam Taylor Britt is going to play, even though he's questionable uh, considering the Bengals did have some time to rest up and do have the edge over the Steelers in that area. Cincinnati ranking. I talked about this when it came to pass block win rate for the Packers. The Bengals have the seventh, best run block win rate. So I think this is going to be a Joe Mixon game, especially when you factor in that Jake Browning starting a quarterback for Cincinnati, even though he looked okay on that final possession against Baltimore scoring a touchdown. That was also a prevent defense for the Ravens. Steelers rank number 20 in EPA per carry allowed this entire season. Kenny Pickett on the flip side, no matter how much you want to grade downgrade the Bengals quarterback situation from Burrow to Browning Pickett has the third worst EPA per drop back combined with CPOE completion percentage over expected among qualified quarterbacks this season. The only two quarterbacks ahead of him, Zach Wilson and Aiden O'Connell. Both teams fighting for their playoff lives, but I will be on the Bengals. It just depends on hopefully getting a better number. I don't think it's going to reach. I'm not saying I'm looking to get the key number three or buying up to the key number three, but even getting point and a half too, I will wait to see if I can get a better number on Cincinnati. You're going to be on the Bengals here, Mo? Yeah. Maybe I'm just too married to my priors on this one, like you with your power rankings. But, man, I was really excited to bet the Bengals. Before Joe Burrow got hurt, I thought minus five and a half with extra rest coming in here against a Steelers team that just stinks, basically, at the end of the day. Like, I know they're getting Ws, but they are not good at all. I thought that line was insane, and it should be on the other side of seven. Like, dude, I think the Bengals were going to destroy the Steelers. Especially coming off a loss and a mini battle. And now, I still like the Bengals. You sounded like Chris Collinsworth. First of all, like you said, Jake Browning came in and did look good at times. Even before prevent defense, dude, he threw a few dimes. That drop by Trent and Irwin when they were still trying to stay in the game. I mean, Ravens were still playing hard on D at that point. That was a still a one-possession game, I think, at that point. So I know there's a lot of people who would think Browning is maybe one of the worst backups, and maybe he is. I mean, this guy's history is not promising. Like, I know he was like a big-time high school recruit, <clears throat> but after that, undrafted, it took him multiple years to even, like, see an NFL field, basically which is not a good sign, (laughs) but I mean, it's still the Bengals offense. So like, he's going to have a great ecosystem to come into, especially if hopefully T Higgins Higgins comes back. Right. Like, and and I think he's probably a favorite to come back. I mean, he just missed two games with not a major injury. So with, especially now some extra rest, like I I think he's probably going to play. And like you said, this Bengals offensive line has has performed all year. They really have. So I know you can sometimes, especially with a bad quarterback who, you know, usually most backups, one of the things that is separating backups from starters in this league is just awareness. You know, being aware of the pass rush. Most backups take way too many sacks. And maybe that'll be the case here. But it is a spot where, his offensive line has performed, so he should have some pockets. And then on the other side, you have a Steelers team on the road with a, a dreadful quarterback and an awful passing game. This passing offense is bottom of the barrel. And playing on the road against Lou Anarumo, who, yeah, the Bengals have been a bad defense overall this year, but still a coordinator with a clue here. I, I mean, this passing offense is not far from the Jets, like you pointed out. And... 
One thing I've been noticing when I watch Pittsburgh in, in recent weeks, man, their offensive line is really opening up some holes in the running game. They did really good work against the Packers. There was massive holes that entire game. And then, dude, they racked up a bunch of rushing yards. I know it was one big run mostly against the Browns, but they racked up a bunch of— I mean, that's the Jalen that's the Jalen Warren effect, yeah, too. Warren the fact that good. they're actually giving him more touches. Yeah, yeah. So, like, can Pittsburgh just come out here and pound the rock and win a low-scoring game? Yeah, maybe. Like, the Bengals' metrics, which are pretty awful, they definitely say he can. but Or they can, but... I kind of say with extra time to prepare and a defensive coordinator that everyone respects, maybe not. I mean, this Pittsburgh passing offense on the road. Like, I, I just have way more confidence in teams winning dirty games with bad quarterbacks at home than I do on the road. So... I'm interested in the Bengals. I think they should maybe be short favorites here. I'm with you. I don't know if T. Higgins will necessarily move the line, but just make sure to join our Discord channel. Link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner, and you'll find out when Mo and I wind up playing the Bengals. We're going to be on Cincinnati. We're going to be on Green Bay. just depends on the number. It sounds like Mo is getting ready to fire off on Washington and potentially Seattle, but... Either way, confirm those bets in real time. Get the notifications on your mobile device when we wind up placing these bets. Final game we're going to discuss, Mo. Ravens at Chargers. LA, a four-point home dog. So Baltimore favored by over the key number three. Total of 46.5. It's up from 44.5 where it opened at on Sunday night. And a lot of injuries on both sides of the ball, at least notable ones. Marlon Humphrey... His status is unknown for this game. Joey Bosa has the foot injury. He may have avoided a long-term injury, but who knows if he's going to play this week. Chargers pass defense is vulnerable. Baltimore without Humphrey in the secondary, very vulnerable defense. I'm not surprised about the total move. I have some other notes on this game, but it sounds like you're actually going to bet it. Yeah, I like I like the Chargers. Uh, I like the Chargers initially at three and a half. So now that it's up to four, I definitely like the Chargers. Um, so maybe you can tell me, since you're the one who's married to all your priors on the Ravens, uh, and keeps thinking they're the best team in the NFL or wherever you have them. Uh, I didn't have them power rated number you one. Did last week. Minute, had, you did for a minute. You did. You did. I last week, last the, the prior week, I did. Before the Cleveland game. I had Dallas actually power rated number one. Yeah, that's week. married to your priors as well. Because these are all the teams you were in love with in the preseason. Okay. <laughs> I think Dallas may be the best team in the NFL. But go on. I mean, yeah, anyone may be. These are all teams that are very good. And they're not a ton separating them, obviously. Um, but yeah, when I'm looking at this game, maybe I'm too married to my prior on the Ravens. But I just think like this line is too high on the road for, I know it's the chargers with like the worst home field that everyone laughs at every week, but it's still a long travel for uh, the Ravens and a quarterback who on the other side of the ball with the chargers is finally playing like people were expecting all season. He was awesome. The last couple weeks, I mean, just shredded the lions and then, his pass catcher, speaking of pass catchers letting people down, that Keep was an down. incredible series of drops from the Chargers. And it wasn't just one guy, although Keenan had two embarrassing ones. Donald Parham uh, and then Quentin Johnson was dreadful as well. Just a couple of absolutely beautiful balls that were not getting caught. And Yeah, that, that last drop by Quentin Johnson, thank you for bringing that up on their final possession. I think it was third down. I mean, you could not have thrown a better ball in that situation because I think they were hurrying up to the line, too. Yeah, that was tough to tough to watch, uh, even though I had the Packers. I was very happy, but yeah, dude, Herbert played out of his mind. I mean, he's playing great, finally, and why are we upgrading the Ravens? I mean, they just lost Mark Andrews. Like, that's maybe their most important weapon. This team is spending a large chunk of its offensive snaps targeting Odell Beckham Jr. with two rebuilt good ACLs last in 2023. I mean, that is not a good. good strategy. Okay. All right. I know he's had some nice plays, but man, that's not where I'd want to be as an offense. And this defense, 
which I've been skeptical of all year, I'm impressed by them. I think that, you know, their, their coordinator is doing amazing work. Like, cause I just don't think this is that talented of a, of a defense that the Ravens have. So they're starting to look a little more like the team. I thought they were going to be Deshaun Watson shredded these guys in the second half. I mean, absolutely killed them. And I think the Bengals were probably going to do some pretty good work too if they had a quarterback that was above the threshold. So I don't think this Ravens defense is all that. And you got this stupid Chargers team that I'm going to bet on again playing for their season at home against a pretty banged up Ravens team, like you said. Ronnie Stanley may not play either. I just think this line is too high, but you know what? It's the stupid Chargers, so if the stupid Chargers lose by 14 points at home, am I going to be surprised? Not really. I I just think (laughs) because of how good Herbert can be at times, though, I think, honestly, Moneyline might be better than taking the points here, but I'll probably have a little bit of both. I don't necessarily have a take on the spread for this game. I kind of lean Chargers. My numbers kind of lean Chargers on the surface, but I have more of an, at least an opinion, not that I'm betting it, but a take on the total because the Chargers have the third highest, third ranked adjusted pace in the NFL. Baltimore ranks bottom four in that category. So game script is going to be big here because if the Chargers are controlling the pace and Justin Herbert is having success, or even if he's not, if the Chargers are at least able to limit Baltimore's rushing attack, and even if they're facing a negative game script, I totally understand the movement towards the over here, even up a couple points. And LA secondary is the issue. It's not its run defense that's been the problem. This secondary is getting gashed outside of Asante Samuel Jr., who's even had his fair share of hiccups too. Lamar Jackson ranking seventh among qualified quarterbacks in dropback success rate. So unless Baltimore is just up a couple scores and running the ball at that very slow tempo and LA can't stop it, even though, like I mentioned, the Chargers run defense is their strong suit on that side of the ball. Then maybe it goes under, but then again, red zone efficiency too is a big reason why we're seeing a bunch of unders. The over movement makes sense to me. The movement towards the over. So I kind of like your positioning on the side. I'm not at least disagreeing with you on it. Yeah, I hear you on the total too. I mean, I believe the Chargers have been one of the strongest teams in the red zone overall. I mean, you saw the dots Herbert was throwing if people could catch them last week and then obviously with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens rushing game overall they're a little stronger in the red zone than most teams because of that extra dimension he gives you but that's another thing to look out for because I'm curious to see what he looks like he had some ugly moments in that Bengals game where they tried to get him to the outside which I thought was really weird because he was already a little banged up and he just didn't look right like not moving like he normally does. Obviously, extra time off here, so maybe... He got hurt. The t- The turf was an issue, and he, I think he played through an ankle injury. Yeah, like, I that's why I thought it was weird why it. they were, like, rolling him out in some spots where, it, like, it was designed. So, really yeah. strange uh, when you're... Especially when you're up in a game like that. I just would not even want to do that. It seems very weird, but... If he's normal, then, yeah. I, I think this is two, two red zone offenses that, that should should convert which is that's honestly the biggest thing when it comes to totals you know like you need red zone touchdowns field goals are not going to get you to the over in most cases as we saw with the one that's still hurting me from earlier in the season ravens and titans like you can kick all the field goals you want it's going to be tough to go over hopefully for anybody betting the over there is some red zone efficiency and i think if the Chargers convert inside the 20 yard line you're going to cover your bet. I hope. I hope. So Chargers plus four, or are you going to wait to see if it spikes up? Could wait and see if there's a four and a half. I think that's fair. I mean, that's can be a good number to have at times. So, yeah, I I think, though, overall, like I said, the money line is probably good in this spot because a lot of Chargers covers are probably Chargers wins. So that's going to do it for this edition of Beat the Closing Number. Remember, if you're betting any NFL Week 12 action 
First time users can use BetMGM Sportsbook promo code the lines, one word the lines, to get up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. Remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money, and as always, terms and conditions apply. You can also head over to play.thelines.com to participate in any of our Thanksgiving or general week twelve contests. We're giving away Amazon gift cards and their free contests. So you may as well sign up over at play.thelines.com. You can find our official bets in real time in our Discord channel. The link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. So, Mo, you mentioned your favorite dish or one of your favorite dishes and an underrated dish on Thanksgiving. How bloated will you feel the morning after is the bigger question. Probably Or Jets-Dolphins, maybe. With that game in prime, or not in prime time, but on Amazon Prime Friday afternoon. What America definitely needs is Tim Boyle in prime time. That will be a, <laughs> a fine, uh, not not an appetizer, uh, dessert, whatever for uh, post post dessert. Yeah, that's going to be rough, but I, I think it just depends on the quality of the desserts that people bring. Because I'm one of those people that like. When there's a spread of multiple desserts, I have to try them all. So it's 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 out of my control is what I'm getting at. <laughs> Even though it's not. But I understand where you're coming from. I'll, I'll be bloated. Bloated is about minus 1,000 for me. So may as well take, take the bet. Lay $1,000 like some people do on some big time favorites, especially over the weekend like we saw on X or Twitter. Not naming any names. That's going to do it for this edition of Beat the Closing Number. For Monoir, you can follow him at Monoir, two W's. You can follow me at Eli Herskovich. Thanks for watching and listening to one of the lines, NFL betting shows. So long, everybody.